is crazy. This guy is crazy. Our president is crazy. Oh, tell me about it. Finally, something I agree with from that guy. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. We'll be talking about both of you uh, folks shortly. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, And, of course, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around Swell Feller says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. As once again, there is so much going on, uh, as I think the walls really are now beginning to crumble down around this presidency. And as I have uh, predicted at various times, I think the end of it, whenever that is, however it comes, I think that's going to happen much quicker rather than slower when it actually does happen. I could be wrong, uh, but everything else that has uh, happened has been with a lurch under this presidency, uh, and that kind of lurch could really happen at nearly any time, given the wild instability of our stable genius president. (laughs) Buckle up, eyes up. Yep. That is, of course, Desiree Doyen. How are you, Des? I'm all right. Okay, hanging in there? (laughs) Yes. All right. uh, Most of note on that uh, front very quickly on the uh, stable genius front is the fact that his longtime chief financial officer at the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg, uh, who who was mentioned in the audio recording released by Michael Cohen a week or two ago, where he and Donald Trump are heard discussing the hush money payoff to Playboy model Karen McDougal and the catch-and-kill scheme their friend David Pecker of the National Enquirer was uh, using to keep her from talking all just before the 2016 election about, you know, keep her from talking about her alleged affair with Donald Trump. Anyway, Weisselberg has now reportedly received uh, immunity from federal investigators to tell all that he knows about the Trump organization and their finances, uh, which all cross over with Trump's personal finances and his phony charity, the Trump Foundation, which is 
currently being targeted by the New York State Attorney General and much more. So that has got to be very bad news for Donald Trump. Added to the very bad news that David Pecker of the uh, National Enquirer was also granted immunity and is said to be cooperating with federal investigators. Add all of that to the very bad news of Cohn's guilty pleas and the uh, his implications of the president in campaign finance felonies uh, on Tuesday and the president's subsequent admission on Fox News that, yes, he did participate in campaign finance fel- felonies, whether he knows it or not. And all of that, of course, came at the very same moment that Trump's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, was found guilty on eight federal felonies. So, yes, this is all now happening very fast, and I think it could get faster and uglier very quickly now. We'll see. That might be good news, ultimately, for the country and uh, maybe fun for a lot of our listeners, but very difficult for those of us in the media biz, so to speak. Yeah, when you have to try to figure out how to cover this and how to, what's actually happening. Yeah, how to make sense of all of this yeah. uh, for listeners. Uh, that is anything but easy right now, uh, especially with uh, so much else that is also going on that also deserves coverage just over two months out now from the crucial 2018 midterms. About two weeks also out from when the U.S. Senate plans to start hearings on a U.S. Supreme Court nominee who will lurch the court to the right for a generation and who has the ability, if he is confirmed, to overturn decades of crucial personal and civil rights laws, not to mention reverse some of the many recent failures that this administration has had recently in the courts on everything from immigration to protection of our environment. So this is couldn't be more important. Uh, I should note that the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, the Democrats on that committee, have now formally requested that Brett Kavanaugh's hearing uh, for the U.S. Supreme Court be postponed until Donald Trump's criminal matters are resolved. That would seem to make sense. But then again, this is not a time of anybody making uh, much sense. Uh, in any event, to that end, to the end of in protecting the environment, with all of the news of the past week, I've had to put off my guest today, a former DOJ trial attorney and environmental advocate, several times this week in hopes of discussing the astonishing, if expected, new proposal by the Trump EPA to overturn Barack Obama's landmark clean power plan, which was meant to curb deadly emissions from our nation's coal-fired power plants. And the scheme by Donald Trump, if it is adopted, will have deadly ramifications for years. So come hell or high water today, we will be speaking with the Clean Air Task Force's Conrad Schneider about that. And speaking of both hell and high water, the great state of Hawaii is experiencing both at this hour and will likely continue to do so for several days at least. Hurricane Lane barreled toward Hawaii on Friday, dumping torrential rains. That has already caused flooding on the big island as people uh, stock up on supplies, pile sandbags to shield oceanfront businesses against the increasingly violent surf. The Associated Press notes the Category 2 storm now has at least been downgraded. It had been Category 5. Now we're down to Category 2. 
But it doesn't look like the winds are the worst of this. It looks like the rains are going to be the worst in this very slow-moving storm. The uh, it, it is expected to turn west on Saturday before reaching the islands and skirting Oahu, which is the state's most populous uh, island. The uh, Federal Emergency Management Administrator, uh, FEMA Administrator Brock Long, says that the rain would continue for the next two to three days. And meanwhile, a brush fire on the island of Maui, a fire amidst all of this, forced the relocation of a hurricane shelter uh, as nearby residents had to be evacuated. Maui fire officials say the fire actually jumped the highway and had been approaching a gas station. Yeah. Yikes. Very much yes. Um, the flames uh, had spread to 300 acres amidst a hurricane. And torrential rain. So, you see, hell and uh, high water. I wasn't kidding. The uh, flooding on the Big Island was fueled by as much as 35 inches of rain. 35 inches that fell in 48 hours. The uh, National Weather Service uh, describes the flooding on the Big Island as catastrophic. The sponge is full, says uh, Chevy Chevalier of the NWS on Friday. There's uh, nowhere for the water to go except to pond up and flood these areas. United Airlines canceled its flights on Friday to and from Maui. The airline added uh, more flights from Honolulu to San Francisco uh, on Thursday to try to help transport people off the island. But by and large, unlike these kinds of storms in, say, Florida or Texas, the folks on these islands really have nowhere to go to evacuate to. They can't, you know, run from this. They can't drive away from this storm. For the most part, folks are going to just have to hunker down now and ride this out. So we're all thinking of you, uh, hoping for the best for you guys tonight in Hawaii and uh, our listeners on KAKU in Maui. Uh, FEMA says that they had moved several container ships full of supplies uh, toward the islands when Hurricane Hector skirted the region uh, more than a week ago. So hopefully those supplies are still nearby and or in place. Uh, but, of course, that's also familiar, uh, similar to what uh, FEMA had said before Hurricane Maria slammed Puerto Rico last year. They, which, that island has just now regained full power almost a year later. Hopefully the electric grid in Hawaii is not quite as fragile as Puerto Rico's. But I guess we will be finding that out soon enough. Yeah, and also I just want to mention that uh, Saturday is the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Harvey making landfall in Houston. Remember, it dropped record amounts yeah. of rain, the largest rainfall event in U.S. history from a single storm. And it was also slow-moving, and that's why the, cat the rain was so catastrophic, similar to Hurricane Lane, sadly. <sighs> yeah, and so uh, we're hoping for the best there on a, on a slightly lighter Hawaiian-related topic here, following up my mention on our previous broadcast that Senator Maisie Hirono, Democrat, uh, Democratic U.S. Senator from Hawaii, that she had canceled her meeting with Judge Brett Kavanaugh, Trump's new nominee to the already stolen U.S. Supreme Court. She had canceled her meeting in light of Tuesday's guilty plea by Trump attorney Michael Cohen, his implication of the president and so forth, related to his uh, hush money payoffs to two women with whom Trump allegedly had affairs. Hirono had announced in a tweet, we noted, uh, quote, I have canceled my meeting with Judge Kavanaugh. Donald Trump, who is an unindicted co-conspirator in a criminal matter, does not deserve the courtesy of a meeting with his nominee. 
purposely selected to protect, as we say in Hawaii, his own okoli. Well, I mentioned at the time that I had not looked up that word to see if it meant what it sounded like it meant, but I had asked our listeners uh, in Hawaii to let me know if they felt like it. And as usual, broadcast listeners did not disappoint. The most <laughs> uh, useful and or colorful response comes from Joanna, who is apparently both in San Rafael, California, and K- uh, Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. I said it right? Yeah. Oh, good. I think. Uh, Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, she says, Aloha, Brad. Re-Senator Hirono's use of uh, Okoli. The word is Hawaiian slang. It's pronounced Okoli, and it means butt or backside. (laughs) For many years, uh, she notes, Hawaii had a wonderful smooth liquor called Okoli Hau, or Iron Butt. She says it ceased wide uh, production about 15 years ago. One of the major spirits producers, however, has revived it. But the old timers say it's not the same as the original made completely from the Thai plant. And I think that's Thai, T-I, Thai plant. um, Thought you might be interested. Best regards, says Joanna. Thank you very much, Joanna. (laughs) Uh, I hope folks in Hawaii have plenty of Okoli Hau. Uh, or an adequate substitute to ride out this uh, storm in any event. All right. Uh, John McCain, the six-term Arizona senator and 2008 Republican presidential nominee, has chosen to discontinue medical treatment for his brain cancer, according to his family on Friday. Uh, The senator, who uh, would be 82 next week, has been away from the Capitol since December. If he should resign his seat or die soon, Associated Press notes Republican Governor Doug Ducey would name a replacement through the 2020 election. The winner of that election would serve the remainder of McCain's term through 2022. The GOP currently holds a bare 51-49 vote majority in the U.S. Senate. So what all of this may or may not now mean for the Republican plan to jam through Brett Kavanaugh onto the U.S. Supreme Court for his lifetime appointment, uh, we'll leave that for another day. But I will note that Governor Ducey, who will name McCain's replacement, has been critical of Donald Trump at times on things like his tariffs and trade wars and his uh, family separation immigration policy. But he Uh, Also, may need Trump supporters behind him in what is expected to be a tough year for Republicans in November. He certainly needs them now, those Trump supporters. Ducey is facing a Republican challenge from the state's anti-McCain former Secretary of State Ken Bennett in this Tuesday's primary elections in Arizona. Ducey uh, has recently cited, I should note, According to the Arizona Capital Times, the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, that stolen seat on the court, and he has cited Trump's nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court as proof that the president is doing a good job. Whether that means Ducey will be inclined to appoint someone who would vote for Brett Kavanaugh, after he receives the nomination, uh, after uh, Ducey receives the nomination on Tuesday, as expected, 
uh, when he may wish to uh, then tack more to the center before the general election in a year where there really are no absolutely safe Republican seats, particularly in a state like Arizona, which is becoming more swingy by the day. Well, all of that remains to be seen. McCain, of course, celebrated Navy pilot who was shot down and imprisoned and tortured during the Vietnam War for about five years, has been uh, absent, as I say, since last December. McCain uh, has been a frequent target of criticism from President Donald Trump, especially for his vote against the Republican replacement scheme for Obamacare, the uh, health care law that was approved under uh, Barack Obama. Uh, Trump signed a military policy bill this month that was named for McCain as he's been fighting this uh, brain cancer. But uh, because he's just one hell of a guy, Donald Trump made no mention of McCain's name whatsoever in remarks at a signing ceremony for that bill. I should also note that at least as of airtime, uh, neither Donald Trump nor the White House have issued a statement regarding Senator McCain. A real class act. Yep. So uh, in the meantime, we wish the senator and his family all the best at this uh, very difficult hour for them. All right, let's take a quick break here and come back uh, with a bit more election and voting news before we get to our guest today uh, with some final results now, finally, from the last major U.S. House special election of the year, which was held almost three weeks ago. What a day. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Oh, I hope so. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Republicans succeeded in holding on to a traditionally safe U.S. House congressional district in Ohio on Friday when State Senator Troy Balderson eked out a very narrow victory over a Democratic challenger. That would be Danny O'Connor in a special election whose result had been too close to call for the past three weeks since the election. Balderson will, in fact, now hold the seat for Republicans in what had been a very Republican district of Ohio near Columbus. He'll hold that seat now for just over two months before he will face O'Connor again in the general election in November. The final margin of this incredibly close race was reportedly 1,680 votes out of more than 200,000 votes that were cast in the contest. That is just outside the um, the half, the one half of a percentage point gap. Uh, it was actually 0.8 to be exact. That would have triggered an automatic recount. Well, that's convenient. in the state of Ohio, isn't it? Though, yeah. however, with all seven of the uh, counties that comprise Ohio's gerrymandered 12th congressional district, with all of those counties using 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems on election day, there would not have been all that much to recount, even if one had happened automatically. 
I don't know if uh, O'Connor has the right, I believe he does, to ask for a recount that he would have to pay for. But at this point, two months out before the uh, November general election, when they're going to do all of this again, that probably doesn't make sense. That's probably not a good use of his uh, resources and time and money, even if voters are left to uh, never know who actually won that seat or not, thanks to the type of voting systems they use there in central Ohio. The uh, Cincinnati Inquirer observes this race should have never been this close. Republicans have a distinct advantage in the seven-county central Ohio district, which includes Columbus's northern suburbs and more rural areas. Registered Republicans there outnumber Democrats two to one. And Donald Trump won the uh, district by 11 points back in 2016. The GOP congressman um, who vacated the seat, Congressman Pat uh, Tiberi, routinely won the district by like 20 or 30 points. So this is a huge swing towards the Democrats, even even without finally eking out a victory uh, in this special election. But things may be very different when the same two candidates meet again in November. One element uh, to the fall race, the Inquirer notes. One new element, college students. Campuses of Ohio State University and several private colleges were empty in August when this election, the special election, was held, but they will be filled by younger voters This November, Democrats hope that will be good news for Mr. O'Connor. And a good reason why the Republicans generally across the country try to do their best to prevent students from voting because they do tend to vote Democratic. They uh, do their best to keep students from voting, minorities from voting, and really just anyone who happens to lean Democratic from voting. So on that front, though, Des, we do have some good news today. Happily, as expected and predicted on our previous broadcast, election officials in a majority black county in rural South Georgia took reportedly less than a minute on Friday to scrap the proposal that would have eliminated local polling places uh, in seven seven of the nine local polling places after that plan drew, drew criticism from all over the country. Yay. Concern about the proposal to close seven of those nine voting locations was, quote, overwhelming and, quote, an encouraging reminder that protecting the right to vote remains a fundamental American principle. That, according to the elections board in Randolph County, Georgia, who had been considering that proposal. Voting and civil rights groups, of course, applauded the decision, but said it demonstrates the need to restore the Voting Rights Act protections that were tossed out by the U.S. Supreme Court back in 2013. The two-person elections board in Randolph County, made up of a black woman and a white man, took about 30 seconds to vote down the proposal. That, according to County Attorney Tommy Coleman, 30 seconds. They had heard enough. After the uh, plan to close the polling places got national coverage, county officials were inundated reportedly with angry email from all over the country. Voting rights advocates had questioned the timing of the changes during this hotly contested governor's race now coming up in November. Georgia's uh, top elections official, that would be Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp. He is running against Democrat Stacey Abrams. She is hoping to become Georgia's first black governor and the nation's first 
female African-American governor. Both had urged the county to reject the changes, at least publicly. The elections consultant who was hired by the county at the recommendation of the Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, uh, he had said that Kemp had recommended this consolidation of these polling places. So Kemp may have said one thing in private and another thing in public once everything blew up. That consultant um, who was hired at Kemp's recommendation, Mike Malone, he had claimed that the uh, polling places in question, one of which is 97 percent African-American in this rural county where many have no cars, uh, no access to a car or to public transportation, Malone had claimed that these uh, polling places did not comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. The county fired Malone in a letter sent on Wednesday of this past week. So all of those polling places had been used in the May primary in Georgia and in the primary runoff in July. And the county attorney said that officials were aware of ADA compliance issues with those polling places because back in 2012, they had entered an agreement with the Department of Justice to try and fix the various ADA violations. Um, the settlement that they made included uh, fixing uh, compliance for those polling places. There was a grant that was issued to fix ADA issues at the uh, county courthouse, but the other updates apparently did not happen. They need to happen. But closing those polling places, because some have trouble using them, in order to make sure that everybody has trouble using them uh, is hardly the solution here, but it's the one that Republicans have been trying to use around the country. So we need to keep our eyes on this. Uh, Coleman said the county currently lacks the money to make the necessary fixes. Uh, Abrams, the Democratic candidate for governor, for her part, and a longtime voting rights advocate, urged supporters to challenge any voter suppression attempts Decisions to close polling locations, she said, are not a matter of cost, but a question of priorities. She says your right to vote is priceless and all of us have to keep fighting to protect it. Boy, howdy, is she right there? The NAACP and uh, ACLU of Georgia sent joint letters on Wednesday to all 159 Georgia counties, urging them to avoid polling place changes that could disenfranchise voters. The ACLU of Georgia said in a news release after the uh, vote that the situation demonstrates clearly the need to reinstate the preclearance provision of the Voting Rights Act. And, you know, by the way, uh, Malone was reportedly uh, paid while well, he, he received a check for more than $2,000 for the services that he brought to the county. Uh, he was paid a $5,000 retainer when he was hired in May and $55 per hour, according to his contract. Gosh, I wonder if that money could have been used to pave some of the parking lots uh, in to question make, yeah, to, to make, make those them ADA precincts. compliant. Yeah. yeah, It's a shame that they did not use that money for that. Moreover, we continue to keep our eyes on that lawsuit, uh, hoping to force Brian Kemp and the state of Georgia to move to hand-marked paper ballots in time for this November's election. Uh, a number of groups are calling for the uh, county officials and have filed a lawsuit to use the existing paper ballot absentee system that they all already use. Use that for all voters on Election Day so that Georgia might have its first verifiable election in 16 years this November instead of using the 100 percent unverifiable 
touchscreens that they use across the entire state. The judge in that case has asked both the plaintiffs and Kemp to explain why she shouldn't order that in the upcoming days. Uh, all these counties move to hand-marked paper ballots. So we're watching that very closely as well. All right, uh, coming up, lost amid this insane last week. The insane plan uh, that the Trump EPA is now putting in place to replace Barack Obama's plan to limit deadly emissions from coal-fired power plants. That plan from Trump is moving forward, whether we are all distracted by all of this other madness or not. So that story is straight ahead with former Justice Department attorney Conrad Schneider. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. In what was supposed to be Donald Trump's big news of the day this past Tuesday as he prepared for a political rally in West Virginia. Uh, his EPA unveiled a new scheme to replace President Obama's landmark clean power plan to curb deadly greenhouse gas emissions uh, as part of the U.S. commitment to the Paris Climate Accord. Trump replaced that with his own scheme that the administration is calling the Affordable Clean Energy Rule. Of course, that uh, big news of that plan got largely sidelined with the guilty verdicts against his former campaign chair and the guilty plea by his former lawyer and personal fixer. But the proposed new rule is moving ahead anyway, whether Americans know about it, talk about it or not. And the consequences, according to excellent climate reporter Lisa Friedman, uh, at the New York Times, no relation, but she's still excellent. Uh, those consequences are likely to be deadly. And that's according to the administration's own documentation of this new scheme. As Friedman reports, the Trump administration has hailed its overhaul of federal pollution restrictions on coal-burning power plants as creating new jobs, eliminating burdensome government regulations, and ending what President Trump has long described as a war on coal. The administration's own analysis, however, revealed on Tuesday that the new rules could also lead to as many as 1,400 premature deaths annually by 2030, by 2030 from an increase in the extremely fine particulate matter that is linked to heart and lung disease, could also cause up to 15,000 new cases of upper respiratory problems, a rise in bronchitis, and tens of thousands of missed school days each year due to increased illnesses. We love clean, beautiful West Virginia coal, Trump said once again at a political rally Tuesday in West Virginia. 
Nevertheless, Tuesday's release of this new rule, along with hundreds of pages of technical analysis for the first time, acknowledged that the rollback of the pollution controls would also reverse the expected health gains from the tougher regulations under the Obama administration. A similar analysis by the EPA of the existing rules adopted by Obama calculated that they would prevent between 1,500 and 3,600 premature deaths by 2030 and would reduce the number of school days missed by 130,000 annually. Much, if not all, of that would now be rolled back under this new rule. Joining us to help understand the actual difference between the two plans by the two different administrations and what it means to Americans on a health basis and to the climate change crisis already disrupting life as we know it here on this planet is Conrad Schneider. He's the advocacy director at the nonprofit Clean Air Task Force based in Boston, where he focuses on reducing pollution from power plants and the oil and gas industry. Before joining CATF, Conrad served as Air and Energy Project Coordinator with the National Resources Council of Maine and as a trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice. Oh, I've heard of them. He currently serves on the board of directors of the Center for Clean Air Policy in Washington, D.C., and teaches environmental law and policy at Maine's Bowdoin College. Conrad Schneider, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad, for having me on. Sure. I uh, Let me start with the big picture here. Uh, what is the general difference? I know this is a big question, but the general difference in the way that uh, Obama's clean power plan would have helped curb deadly greenhouse gas emissions from coal-fired power plants and the Trump's uh, administration's affordable clean energy rule. Uh, it theoretically does the same, but if by magnitudes less so. What is the difference in the, uh, in the two approaches in the two plans? Yeah, well, we call it the Trump dirty power plan. And, um, and the essential difference is that the Obama plan, the clean power plan, mm -hmm set much more stringent limits on coal plant emissions of carbon dioxide. And uh, the Trump plan, we're still poring over the hundreds of pages that you very uh, adroitly summarized in your intro, um, it, you know, essentially it's up to the states to define what the standards are going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a state's right-to-your-own-rule kind of situation. Uh, so it's hard to know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the result may be very little, if no, uh, emission reduction. There are no numerical targets in the new plan proposed. Uh, and, uh, and the analysis that they did, the 300 pages of uh, technical impacts analysis, mm -hmm. assumed that there would be some improvement in the efficiency of coal boilers, and they assessed the impacts of that. But we won't actually know for years uh, whether there are any uh, uh, reductions that are associated with this plan at all because it'll be years before states even have to submit uh, what they plan to do. On a, on a health basis, as opposed to a climate change basis, what is the Clean Air Task Force most worried about with this uh, proposed new rule? And I should underscore, by the way, that this is only a proposed rule at this time. We'll talk about the various uh, legal issues and implementation issues in a moment. But as far as uh, health goes, what, what's the uh, big uh, concern for the Clean Air Task Force? So the, the biggest takeaway, and this is by EPA's own numbers, the Trump EPA's own numbers, which you know, we're looking behind to see whether this is an underestimate of the impacts. But, but they admit mm -hmm. that the change from the Obama plan to their proposal 
would result in 1,400 unnecessary premature deaths per year by 2030. Um, and so that's thousands and thousands of Americans who would die prematurely uh, under the Trump plan, whose lives would be, have been saved under the Obama plan. And as you rightly point out, there are a whole, that's just the tip of a pyramid of health effects um, that include hospital admissions, emergency room visits, asthma attacks, children missing school days, and, and, and adults missing work as a result of the uh, pollution um, that would occur here. Um, so the, the, from a health standpoint, that's our biggest focus. And from a global warming and uh, climate change standpoint, is, is uh, Trump's new rule expected by CATF to have a notable impact on climate as opposed to the Obama rule, or is that uh, something where we don't yet understand? Well, it's, it's, it's certainly much less stringent. No, no question it's much less stringent than the Obama rule. That's the entire purpose of it, right, is to roll back the Obama rule, mm-hmm. repeal and replace the Obama rule. Right. Um, and so the, 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 probably in the best light, you know, so, so the, the context that you have to understand here, and this is a silver lining if there is one, uh, is that the, the electricity system in the United States is actually getting cleaner. And that's because uh, cleaner energy is cheaper than coal for once. Uh, renewables, wind and solar, are uh, the costs have come down. Um, those are uh, being deployed more and more. Mm-hmm. The, the cost of natural gas is low and outcompetes coal on the margin. So um, the U.S. electric system is headed in the right direction, just as a function of the free market moving it in that direction. Okay, so the question would be, um, well, how does the Trump plan change that? And, and what Trump is trying to do, this is just the latest of his um, efforts to try to resuscitate the coal industry. That's why I was in West Virginia touting the plan. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's designed to, to try to bring coal back by forcing companies to invest in updating and upgrading their existing old dirty coal plants. And it says if they do that, that they will meet this standard. Well, the, the problem with that, and that sounds good, right? We're going to make coal uh, cleaner. We're going to have a little more efficiency involved in the coal plant. But what that means is they're going to be more competitive. They're going to outcompete other sources of electricity in the marketplace. And all the other sources, pretty much all the other sources of electricity are cleaner than coal. So that means the coal uh, plants running would displace gas and renewables, which would mean more emissions. And the other way it increases emissions potentially is that, that by putting more money into old coal plants, you extend their lives. So they're going to be emitting for months and years longer than they would otherwise yeah. have. Those two things add up to emissions increases, not decreases. <laughs> Extending the lives of coal plants, if not the American people. Other than uh, an obvious, the obvious, many obvious benefits to industry, is there anything in Trump's plan here that actually benefits the American public, even if it's not as much as the Obama plan would have? I realize this is maybe difficult to ask you to say something good about this plan, but is there anything good about this plan? Well, you know, I have to say, you know, I, can't, I confess I haven't read all hundreds of pages of it, mm-hmm. but, but to date I've searched in vain for something that's <laughs> positive about it. most positive thing I can say about it is that this proposal, if it was finalized, is so at odds with the Clean Air Act that I think it will be uh, relatively easy to overturn it in court. And I want to get to that. Both the administrations, uh, Obama and Trump, as I understand it, they are actually required, I- I- am I correct, by the courts to take action 
on coal plants under the Clean Air Act? That's, that's correct. There, there was a, a finding uh, that, the, that the greenhouse gases, among which the carbon dioxide is the chief one, uh, endanger public health and the environment, and that finding triggered uh, the provisions of the Clean Air Act to start requiring reductions in those, in those greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Supreme Court ratified that and said, yes, that uh, um, this, this particular Clean Air Act provision that, that uh, Obama used and that Trump is trying to pervert here requires uh, reductions. And so rather than going back and trying to undo the fundamental endangerment finding, something that former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt flirted with for a time, mm-hmm. um, they're obliged to issue a replacement rule if they plan to repeal the Obama rule. Do you, do you expect them to still challenge that endangerment finding, requiring them to uh, take this action? I mean, it would, they've, they've gone to a lot of trouble to, uh, to put out this new proposal if they were going to undo um, the underpinnings of mm. it. So, so maybe, maybe not. But I know as recently as you know, this year, there have been discussions about having these sort of so-called red team, blue team debates about whether climate change is in fact real. And that would be the type of thing that would be uh, a lead up into reconsidering the endangerment finding. But for now, at least, they are following the advice of the, of the electric utility industry, which has strongly advised them to, to issue a replacement rule, a weak facsimile of the Obama mm-hmm. rule, uh, to have something um, you know, weaker in place uh, and give that industry uh, what they describe as some certainty about the, uh, their regulatory risk. William Wayrum, the Trump EPA uh, air chief, he's also a former coal industry attorney, as luck would have it. Uh, He said on Tuesday, quote, however much people may want EPA to regulate power grids, however much people may want EPA to demand that renewables be built instead of coal plants, we do not have that authority. Suggesting that the Obama administration overstepped its legal authority with the clean power plan and that such changes uh, may be swell, but they might must be done by congressional action, not by the executive branch, which uh, the EPA is a part of. Y- your response to that? Yeah, let me let me correct that misimpression, because there has been a lot of uh, ink spilled about this issue of um, the Obama Clean Power Plan somehow trying to regulate the electricity system as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way the Clean Air Task Force has ever seen it. The, the, the Trump administration is saying, well, you know, when you issue a, a regulation of this type, it has to um, be limited to the affected source, to the coal plant itself. Mm-hmm. And the traditional way that you think about that is, let's say you have a smokestack, and pollution is coming out of that smokestack. You require some sort of emission scrubber that be put on that smokestack, and you set a performance standard or an emission standard based on the, what, that, what that emission control can do. And their argument is, you have to do something like that here, right? You can't um, try to uh, incentivize or change the generation mix from coal to cleaner sources, that that's beyond their authority in the Clean Air Act. That didn't, in our view, that's not at all what the Obama plan was trying to do. The Obama plan put emission limits on coal plants. And one of the ways, and we've got the cheap way that they expected that they would, would comply with that, was to run less. And if you turn down your coal plant, that, all of that happens within the fence line. All of that happens at the coal plant. Mm-hmm. And incidental to coal plants running less, other types of, of electricity sources would step in and, and, and replace that power. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a, an indirect effect of regulating the coal plant, but that's not the plan. And so we had argued in court, and um, you know, the court has um, uh, uh, held the, the case in abeyance and has not issued its, its order pending 
all this action by the Trump administration. But we had argued in court that very point, that, that it was well within the, uh, the bounds of the Clean Air Act to regulate coal plants upon the expectation that that generation would be replaced by cleaner uh, energy sources but that that was, 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 was exactly what the Clean Air Force was, was uh, designed to do. And, and I appreciate you making that clarification, because if I'm understanding it, the Obama administration did not mandate you must move to renewable energies, you must choose any particular type of energy. All they said was you have to uh, reduce emissions, and right. how you wish to do it, uh, well, we can talk about that, we'll see if we can help, but you're not mandated. They weren't, in other words... As uh, the uh, Republicans love to say here, they weren't picking winners and losers and mandating one energy source over another. But that seems to be exactly what the Trump administration is now doing. They are picking winners and losers and telling people, yeah, you have to essentially you have to use coal. Well, this this is just the fulfillment of a campaign promise by Trump to Mm -hmm. try to, to bring the coal industry back. And we can debate that as a policy matter. But this, pol- this, this political promise runs headlong into the requirements of the Clean Air Act. And this, like so many other uh, issues where Trump has run into trouble in court, he's trying to do something that to, to fulfill his, his campaign promises that are at odds with the law, whether they're at odds with immigration law, they're at odds with uh, gun law, they're at odds with whatever it is. The, the, you know, the, there's a rule of law, and the, and the EPA's mission is to implement the clean air laws of the country. The EPA's mission is not to fulfill uh, Donald Trump's campaign promises. So we'll be arguing to the court that as much as they might want to uh, throw a lifeline to coal, the Clean Air Act is not the appropriate venue to do that. They have, they have other measures. They've gone to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, and said, oh, coal plants have to run to keep the grid operating, right? And FERC turned them down flat. The most recent gambit before this was that they were saying under a 1950s-era War Production Act that, that this is a time of war and running coal plants is in the national security right. interest. And that's a pretty much a non-starter. So here, where they propose this, trying to pervert the Clean Air Act into being a pro-coal policy. Yeah, and that was actually what, uh, at his uh, rally in West Virginia, what he said uh, was, oh, you can't destroy coal, you can bomb a pipeline, you can uh, blow up a windmill, but we need coal, as if he was saying, this is a national security issue. Now, uh, I'm speaking with Conrad Schneider, trial attorney for, former trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice, now advocacy director at the nonprofit Clean Air Task Force. Uh, Conrad, the uh, landmark... Obama clean power plan was placed on hold by the courts as it was being challenged by a bunch of uh, largely Republican-controlled states. It had not yet actually been implemented. Does that legal challenge now become moot, and uh, the Obama rule itself, it, does that, is that now permanently dead during the comment and proposal period for Trump's new rule that is supposed to replace it? That's, that's a great question, and as you rightly point out, it was really the last judicial act of uh, Justice Antonin Scalia was to be the fifth vote in uh, staying the Clean Power Plan. It was the only time the Supreme Court has ever stayed a regulation. The only thing they in the past have ever stayed before were executions. Uh, so this was a complete anomaly for the Supreme Court to stop uh, an EPA regulation. Really? That way. They, yeah, but yeah, the only the only um, but so you asked a great question. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the underlying defense of the Clean Power Plan challenge uh, has been f- heard by the entire D.C. Circuit. It's been briefed and argued. 
presumably there are uh, opinions sitting there uh, ready to go out, but they have not issued them because the Trump administration asked them to hold on and allow them to revisit the question. Uh, what the Trump administration now has done is made two proposals. One is to repeal and to replace. Neither of those have been finalized. And uh, uh, our argument is that the, that, the, that the court should rule that the that legal issues that were uh, at issue in the challenge to the Clean Power Plan are the very same issues that will be at issue in the challenge to the Trump Dirty Power Plan. And getting guidance from the court on those issues would be terrific. We would have said to EPA and the Department of Justice, you should go to court and have the court rule. We should know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Why wait uh, an additional months and years when this case has been fully briefed on the very same issues? Um, but we'll have to see. The last time the D.C. Circuit revisited its, uh, its abeyance every 60 days, they have to go back and look at whether they should reopen the case. Uh, several of the judges suggested that the litigants go to the Supreme Court and have the stay lifted. So we recently wrote a letter to the Supreme Court and said to, 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 to the Chief Justice and said, um, you know, this was stayed during the pendency of the litigation. The litigation is on hold. Uh, can you lift the stay? And, you know, we'll see what happens. We mm-hmm. don't expect, exactly expect that to happen. But, um, but it's, 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 it's hard to know. We'll have to see whether the, these rules are finalized, and obviously we'll challenge those. And then, of course, we'll have to sort out uh, whether the, the, the previous challenge and defense of the Clean Power Plan is allowed to go forward. Uh, just more unprecedented uh, territory under the Trump administration, I guess. Well, and, and, and uh, Brett, what we're doing here yeah. is we're fiddling while the planet burns. Yep. Right? We're fighting things around in court when, when we're, we really don't have the time to waste. And as I said before, the only silver line is at least the, um, the carbon footprint of the power sector in the United States is headed in the right direction. But we're subject right now to the vagaries of the market. Um, You know, uh, particularly gas prices have have historically been quite volatile. So if gas prices rise, we could see a return to coal. And obviously, the Trump people are trying to put their thumb on the scales and and bring coal back. So, you know, we're we're in a a, a time right now where at least emissions are down uh, as a function of the cleaner power being cheaper. But, you know, that's not something we shouldn't bet the planet on that. It should be uh, noted here, uh, Conrad, that uh, while the Trump administration has attempted to institute some obviously horrible regulations, uh, or, or at least tried to uh, kill some very good ones under the uh, disgraced now former EPA chief Scott Pruitt, and now under the current acting EPA chief and longtime coal industry lobbyist Andrew Wheeler, uh, many, uh, perhaps even most of those efforts, have been blocked in one way or another by the federal courts. In just the past week or so, federal judges have ruled against the administration on water rules, chemical plant safety rules, on their approval for the Keystone XL pipeline, for example. Is there any reason to believe that this scheme will actually fare any better under the uh, inevitable lawsuits uh, that will uh, certainly be challenging it? Yeah, if they, if they finalize the worst aspect of what they proposed, uh, I think we feel fairly confident that courts will, will at least send uh, the rule back for more work. That there, there are uh, aspects of what they are trying to do uh, that are so at odds with the Clean Air Act um, that, that uh, sort of regardless of a judge's persuasion, you have to, you have to think that, there, that, that, that there, we would be successful in challenging it. One of, the, one of the things that they did, by the way, that, that is a telltale that they expect emissions to go up Part of their proposal yesterday, which has nothing to do with carbon dioxide policy, frankly, mm-hmm. um, is, um, is that they, they propose to open an exemption that industry has wanted for, the coal industry has wanted for decades, 
uh, and that is to exempt uh, uh, them from a requirement of installing best uh, emission controls whenever uh, a modification is made to their plant mm-hmm. that would re- what would result in their emissions going up. And what I mean to say is if they make investments that would extend the useful lives of their plants, right, these are, are life-extending uh, capital investments, mm-hmm. that is supposed to trigger under the Clean Air Act uh, a requirement that the emission controls on that, on that plant that has a new lease on life meet new, pla- new plant standards. Ah. And they're relaxing that. The oh. only time that that requirement is triggered is when emissions go up. So... Um, they're cre- they want to create this loophole with the full expectation that coal plant emissions will rise. Because why else would they need to create that ex- exemption? Of course, yeah. And one more uh, loophole that, uh, and, and sort of last question here, uh, but I think this is really important and not getting the the attention it needs. Uh, Lisa Friedman over at the uh, New York Times cites uh, a very troubling aspect of all of this. We've reported on it a bit in the past. Uh, but the administration's war on what they deceptively call secret science. In this case, uh, Friedman reports, the numbers in both the analysis of the Clean Power Plan and its likely successor, the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, are derived from a system that EPA has used for decades to calculate the benefits and drawbacks of pollution regulation. The premature mortality numbers used in those models draw from, for example, a landmark Harvard University study known as Six Cities that definitively links air pollution to premature deaths. The agency, however, is considering a separate rule now that would restrict the use of any study for which the raw underlying data cannot be made public for review. The argument for the rule is that the research is not uh, transparent enough. And yet she notes that if the EPA finalizes that rule, it would restrict the use of one of the main pieces of research that ties pollution to premature death, making it easier for future EPA assessments of health impact to assign a lower premature death rate by instead using other research and essentially avoiding the good research. Uh, This seems as troubling to me as anything else here, uh, frankly. Uh, What is the problem that the EPA has with studies like Six Cities, and uh, what sort of impact uh, does uh, the Clean Air Task Force see on executive agency rulemaking if such studies are simply allowed to be ignored at this point by the EPA? Right. Well, the Trump EPA's problem with it is the Trump administration's problem with these studies is that they provide the rationale for the clean air regulations uh, that the coal industry hates. You know, the rationale is, and surprise, surprise, reducing coal pollution saves lives, right? That, that's not a controversial proposition. These studies are decades old. They are among the most scrutinized science out there because, because of exactly this. Congress, uh, the, the coal industry supporters in Congress have been questioning these studies for years. Uh, they went through an independent, objective reanalysis uh, process to, to make sure that they were, were, were confirmed and, in fact, were confirmed and reproduced and replicated in every way possible. As I say, they're probably the most scrutinized studies in history. Uh, and, of course, the results stood up. Um, but this is taking the you know, tobacco uh, industry playbook and trying to question the science linking uh, uh, pollution to, to, to a health impact, in this particular case, uh, premature deaths. And so if they can upend that, they think that they can uh, upend either any new regulations mm-hmm. or probably go back and undo existing regulations that are requiring reductions in that pollution. 
And do I understand it correctly that their objection, the part that they call a secret in the secret science, is because it deals with uh, personal medical records and that they don't release the the names, the information on uh, on these people who have been killed by uh, these various diseases that are being cited here. Right, right. Imagine, imagine that that uh, health researchers sign you up for a study. One of the things that they do is they ensure your confidentiality so that no one can find out your personal information. So, and these studies, of course, were some of them were formed over a decade ago. So, so uh, the opponents of these studies say, "Aha! We know that legally they cannot release this data. So, if we say let's disavow the, any studies in which the data is not released publicly, they know they can disqualify these studies from being considered. But the researchers' hands are tied because they promised the." the confidentiality yeah. and anonymity to the subjects that signed up for the studies. So they think they've got, uh, you know, these, these, these studies caught in the catch-22. And, you know, we just filed comments on this and will certainly challenge legally any attempt to finalize such a, such a misguided uh, regulation. What a scam. Add it to the list. Uh, folks can comment on all of this on these uh, various proposed regulations at regulations.gov. Conrad Schneider, Advocacy Director at the nonprofit Clean Air Task Force. And uh, you can find his work on, uh, on all of this on the Twitters at Clean Air, C-A-T-F. And, of course, at their website, catf.us. Conrad Schneider, greatly appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Brad. You bet. Okay, my thanks as well to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider a donation to our work here at bradblog.com donate. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. You can also drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh.